We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you! All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 112, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, joined by my guest for the day, a writer for AS English, covering the Liga and based in Madrid. And I know, yes, he's based in Madrid. And while he may not be a Barcelona fan, we're talking La Liga today. It's Robbie Dunn. Welcome to the show, Robbie. Hi, how are you doing, Dan? Nice to join you. And Robbie's going to help us with La Gran Pagunta today. So we're not going to waste any more time, and we'll let Robbie kind of plug his own work at the end of the show. But... For now, the Gran Pagunta, or the big question, is La Liga deeper than ever? And this is the Barcelona podcast, so we start with Barcelona, of course, Robbie. But we will be hitting a ton of the major stories around La Liga on today's show. Barcelona's comeback against Rayo Vallecano, coming after the loss earlier in the season to Leganes. Two of the bottom three teams in the table at the moment seem to be the two teams that Barcelona have struggled the worst with in the Liga so far. Why do you think Barcelona... I mean, and I, I, if I'm not mistaken, either you were at the Rio Vallecano Barcelona game, or at least you were covering it very closely on, on television. But why do you think Barcelona are having trouble with the teams that realistically should be the easiest games for these giants? Yeah, well, I was at the game. Yeah, and, and um, well, I guess the Rio Vallecano one is is obviously it's very complex, and there's lots of different factors that go into it. But I think. Rio actually, it's part of the issue that Rio have this year is that I'm not entirely sure what their uh, what age their whole their overall squad is but it feels like they're an inexperienced uh, uh, squad lacking in in 
belief in themselves and it's only when they find themselves in a situation where they've nothing left to lose that they actually start playing to their ability and I think that's what happened on Saturday night when we, we went to uh, we actually went to a Spanish football podcast um, pub quiz on this Friday night and we were just they were laughing like how many are Rayo going to concede and Rayo obviously their defence isn't great and things like that and it was just a given that Barcelona were going to come and wipe the floor with Rayo. And I think Rayo kind of sensed that. And at nil all, there was still something left to lose. And once Suarez put the goal, uh, scored in, in the first half, it was it was definitely a sense that there was definitely a sense that this could be five nil here. And um, I think the players, Rayo players, sensed that too. And they were like, "Look, we've nothing left to lose here. Let's give this a go." And I think also the fans definitely helped. I think it was it was Valverde said after the game that Vallecas is different and the pitch there is really uh, nice for kind of putting pressure on teams and things like that and I think that the fans definitely showed up on the night and nearly dragged Rio over the line um, but I think that that was definitely a factor with, with, with Rio and, and it has been all season in terms of uh, the league being did you did you ask me about the league being more deep or we go into that uh, later on well we'll pick apart some of the teams I, I got one more question actually about the the Rio Arcana atmosphere there yeah. So for yeah. the second goal, obviously when Dembele scored, I just I think I need some confirmation bias. And obviously, and they talked about this as you plugged on the Spanish football podcast, of course, with Sid Lowe and, and Phil Kijimlidis. But for the game itself, when that second goal scored by Dembele, of course the media is making a big deal about them not celebrating and, and going around Dembele and celebrating with him. But obviously it seems to me that at that juncture in the game, a third goal needed to be scored. And being there, you kind of saw the body language of the players. It just seemed more like they were more in a hurry than they were just not celebrating purposely with Dembele. Is that, is that a correct notion? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not, not entirely sure, to be honest with you, because I thought about that. But even prior to that goal, there was definitely a disconnect between Dembele and the rest of the team. Uh, on that on that right-hand side, and I know Rafinha did, wasn't great at all, and neither was Coutinho, and Barcelona, I think, in general, were just off. Um, but once Dembele came on, there was a lack of combinations there. There was one ball where, I think it was Suarez played it through to him, and he, he kind of overhit it. And the two of them just looked at each other and... I, don't, I obviously don't know what was said, but they looked at each other and Dembele said something and Suarez just kind of threw his hand up as if to say, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what it was. And this is, this is me reading into this massively, but it was kind of like, just do, almost like I don't, you're, on, you're, you're on your own, kind of like you're doing your own thing, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, or something like that to that effect. And then when he did score, I think definitely it was a case where right we can get we can get it. we got a second let's get a third here. But I do think Dembele he didn't even expect anyone to celebrate because if he was that keen to 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 um, get back himself he wouldn't have celebrated. But he jumped up in the air and he was delighted. But the rest of the team were on a different wavelength and whether or not obviously the goal had a, or the, the getting the next goal was had a part to play in it. But I do think there's a disconnect there and I think the the issue I find is is that. And I, and I know that these these stories take do need further analysis, and you can't just take headlines and 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 sensational stories on face value. But there's no smoke without a fire, and I think that there's been enough done and said now, both on the pitch, off it, in press conferences with Valverde, that there there is a growing issue or a concern here that Dembele isn't for Barcelona for long. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. When there's smoke, there's fire, and there's certainly just smoke. I, I no one has seen any indications of of some kind of fire, but this is, again, 
going to become one of the big narratives of the season so far. And a team that's struggling with narrative right now, and speaking again of Giants, let's hit the other one in Real Madrid. And it is important that we do mention the struggles of Real Madrid here. We're obviously firing Yulin Lopetegui already, sitting at six at the very moment here on the Tuesday while we're recording this. Ninth after getting crushed in El Clasico earlier before, again, the win over the weekend over a, a very scrappy Valladolid side propels them, if you will, to sixth place. But when was the last time, Robbie, that you can think of we've seen Madrid struggle for this long at the start of a season? And of course, every team has ebbs and flows, but now we're already in November and Real Madrid still haven't seemed to completely right the ship. Yeah, I think, uh, oh, I, can't, I can't remember that it- not even that it's been this long because there were spells under even Zidane where, where things got a little bit shaky. But but there seems like there there's no way out of this for Real Madrid at the moment. And I guess Vinicius has been talked up now and that's kind of maybe the Spanish press looking for a hero and, and hoping for a hero rather than anything else. But I, I think that um I think Real Madrid it's kind of inevitable in many ways and, and, and there's so many different ways to look at it. But this was, regardless of um, selling Ronaldo, there was always going to be a fall off at some point with any club when, when you, when you, and it's just about, I guess it's about managing those, um, managing those, uh, those drops and being prepared for them and, and dealing with the unknown when it happens and being prepared for the unknown. And I, I just don't think that Real Madrid plan for this whatsoever I think the I think there's a correlation between how surprising the the Zidane press conference and um, and uh, departure was and just how how bad I guess they've looked in the following months and how the scramble for the for the uh, for a new manager has been I think I think Zidane really really surprised him and I think uh, I don't really know if it's an arrogance, an arrogance with with Real Madrid, but they, I guess, they thought that they were winning and they were just going to keep winning, and they didn't. It's it's almost like they didn't foresee any of this happening, um, and and I think that's just poor leadership and poor management of the squad and the situation. And obviously, you're in the media and you're in Madrid there now. During Barcelona's, we'll say a spell of four games where they didn't get a victory, which again for one of the Giants is is a huge number of games. Yet Barcelona still leading the table. At that time, you saw that Gerard Piquet, every little thing that the center back was doing was on the front page of the paper. And of course, uh, Dembele is still the front page of a lot of papers for his own reasons. And the the, the rare distractions, whether it was the Messi injury or, or some some good thing about Arthur or some big transfer thing about Frankie de Jong or, or Matthias de Ligt, do you find that there are parallels in the Madrid media in that for Barcelona with Sport and Mundo Deportivo, that AS and Marca wind up doing the same things with Real Madrid. Of course, that Sergio Ramos incident with the, with the with the youth player with the with the with the uh, outside back that winds up coming to the forefront. And do you find that there are certain players that just seem to be under the microscope even more so? And who in that Real Madrid squad, if things continue to be soured, is gonna we'll say get a little bit of the blame in the ways that we're seeing Dembele and Pique get the blame for anything that's happening wrong at Barcelona? Yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting to to, to look at um, the, the the well uh, when you're looking at sensational news and stories and headlines and things like that. I suppose you have to look at the model at the moment. Who what players get the most clicks and what 
players generate the most interest, you know, and like Sergio Ramos generally does. Um, he's been blamed. He's so, and this tends to happen with PK as well. And I find it kind of interesting that these kind of players who speak out and are a little bit different and are a little bit. Uh, like, I mean, like Sergio Ramos speaks and he speaks, he never speaks in cliches. He's always interesting, always has a line, always willing to kind of push it a little bit further than other players are, which is a sign of obviously confidence and, and his stature within the game. But they, like the likes of Griezmann does the same. PK is very similar. He's he's outspoken. And these are the kind of players that you, you want um personally I, I, they're the kind of players that I want someone interesting you know we see it in the NBA and NFL like uh, these these players most players have something to say they, they're interesting and, and but, but uh, on the other side of that as soon as something goes wrong they're going to be picked on and uh, I think Ramos has and then you can look at it as in they don't help themselves it's a matter of kind of social awareness when to speak and when to say things and and, and exactly what fans kind of need to hear at certain times but um, yeah I think I think there are definitely parallels but that's just and, and that's also just the nature of the size of these clubs they're absolutely behemoths and I think that I, I don't think that the, the the nature of the clubs is 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 a direct relation to um the amount of coverage they get so so every little uh, uh mistake someone makes or, or or comment someone makes or like they put on instagram is going to be kind of magnified in that and i know it's all a little bit overboard but that's how we choose to live our lives following these players and following these storylines and narratives and trying to pick apart pieces when we're not in the dressing room this is what we do we look for little clues uh, as to what's going on so uh yeah obviously there's definitely parallels and um I think that uh, I think that the the likes of Ramos and Pique are actually quite similar in that they don't speak in cliches. They they like to say what they think for the most part, and uh, obviously that's going to draw attention to them when they do when things do go a little bit wrong. Yeah, and I find you brought up two good points there that you know here in the states the way the NBA markets itself and LeBron James, obviously the most famous player on the on, on in the world, he's a guy that off the court has basically been perfect. I mean, it, his regiments, everything that he does, he's never ever makes waves with anything he does in, in a negative way, in a way that bigger personalities might be. Not that he isn't a bigger personality. He's one of the biggest personalities in the world. But I just mean his off-the-court persona and the way yeah. that he carries himself. And then in the, in the same respect, it is funny you mentioned that even. I was at lunch the other day, and I found out that someone else, which in the States, it's, it's, not, as, it's not as common as it is in, in Europe and for those listening, but it depends on the community as well. But here I am. I'm at this lunch. I find out that, that, that somebody next to me also... He's a big fan, also watches La Liga um, with the sport, but they're Real Madrid fans. So we get into it very quickly that, you know, that I, I let them know that, you know, whether it's Marco Asensio, Isco, there are certain players that if they had been La Grana and not Los Blancos, then they would be players that I would really enjoy. But at the root of it, there are players for Madrid that obviously Sergio Ramos, uh, the, the Pepe, you know, there are certain guys that I will always hate and would never want them in the, in the other color. And, you know, it, it just... It always gets me thinking like that there is common ground with players that we enjoy and the sport that we enjoy to watch, but yet there are still always those hated figures, and those are the ones of, obviously that are sensationalized the most in the media. N now, I did see you. Now, we're going to switch tracks a little bit. We're going to go into a little more of the rest of La Liga uh, as we run through for the latter, for the r latter half of the show now, um, and I saw you tweeting about it, and I watched it as well. 
the 3-3 track meet between Celta de Vigo and Real Betis, which on the Spanish football podcast, they already called it maybe the match of the season, uh, not only so far, but potentially the whole, whole way. I mean, what an exciting game it was. And yet, Betis 14th in the table, Vigo is 11th. And pretty incredible to think about their positions in the table after this one. Kike Setien, one of the names on the lips of the anti-Ernesto Valverde Kool-Aids. They're, the, they're the saying that, you know, he'd be a perfect example for Barcelona. And yet, Real Batista's own fan base is saying that, well, his time might be limited. How much more can we deal with Setien and the results he's getting? Um, and while we were promised all these goals from Batista, the three goals against Vigo isn't exactly indicative of the goal-scoring form as they've been in so far. I find that... Batiste in particular is one of the very interesting teams in the Liga so far, again, to watch for good or bad. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel for Setien because he's, he, he says this and there's absolutely no hiding it with him is that this is how he plays and that's it and there's no um, there's not going to be any... Um, there's not going to be any uh, change in how he plays based on and, and and going back to the NBA thing as well. Like I mean, you get you see now like players taking three um, three pointers and 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 they, they it's all a probability. Like Setien is saying, okay, we're not and and then you look at the expected goals and things like that. Like Real Betis, in theory, they're fine. And and I think th- this is the issue as well. You get with with teams that are uh, that do well for a season. We look at Valencia as well. They do well for a season and 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 and, and overshoot their uh, objectives and 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 play better and pre- perform or not perform better, but they yeah they they perform better than what their overall play would suggest. All of a sudden, there's a drop in that. Uh, not necessarily even that bad, but but a, a drop back to uh, the regression to the mean, and all of a sudden you've got fans going crazy. You're saying. And it just doesn't make sense because Real Betis, like when you look at Betis before Setien came in, they were going through managers like 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 Candy, like they 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 had a bunch of managers had no style, had no personality, nobody cared about them, and they're they're a historically massive club in Spain. All of a sudden, Setien comes in. Okay, it's not going ideal for him at the moment, uh, but but they're they're an absolutely fascinating team to watch, as you said. They've they've got a style, they've got personality. They're in the Europa League. Something also that's difficult to, to kind of figure out when you haven't been in Europe for a couple of years, and 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 Setien is figuring that out, and um, you know, and and he 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 demands and he needs a certain type of player to play within his squad, and he's just building that squad, and and this is the problem as well with with um with football and the the short termism of it is that 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 uh, managers aren't given enough time to kind of implement this and let. Let let his style um, get to the best of, of what his style can do, and I just I, I think anyone calling for his head at the moment is just ridiculous. Um, for uh, and and I'll I'd stand beside that for another another year at least, unless it gets really really bad. Yeah, when I when I think of Seti, and I I almost think of Paco uh, Paco who was with Las Palmas, how he seemed to be managing a team and a squad and wanted them to play in a way where he needed more skillful players than he had. And the players he needed were just resourceful, experienced ones who were going to to fight off relegation. And yet he was trying to play th- this way that was trying to win a trophy. 
and, and it's just this where basically where the rubber meets the road of not only what the goals of the squad are, but how can you function over the course of a season with all those ebbs and flows with the rosters you have. And you mentioned that's the big point here that we see this even more so in the Premier League than you do in the Liga when teams are forced to play multiple competitions when they don't usually do such, like the Europa League. They just don't have the depth and and the salary bill to be able to deal with, and they don't have the bodies to be able to deal with multiple competitions over, on multiple fronts. Um, and you did bring up Valencia, so we're going to talk about some of the surprises abound near the bottom of the table, too. We'll go back to the top of the table in a second, but let's stick at the bottom or around the bottom of the table. Huesca, Rio, Leganes, maybe the three teams in the relegation zone, and Huesca, of course, this is their first season up. There were not too many expectations for them, and Rio to a similar degree as well. And then Leganes, who are such a tiny club in the Liga, such an amazing thing that they're still in the first division and succeeding in the ways they have in the last few years. Um, but right above them, you have Valencia, Villarreal, Athletic Bilbao. And above them, even, as we just talked about, is Batiste and then Real Sociedad. And so you have five of what I'd say, other than Barcelona and Real Madrid, those won't be the other five most storied clubs in the Liga, and it seems like the other La Liga teams around them don't care too much about history, that being Ibar, Leganes, and the teams that are taking them down. Yeah, certainly, and I think you, you mentioned those clubs, the smaller clubs, and I think the three smallest clubs would be Leganes, Huesca, and uh, Rayo. Um, I think I think Huesca were always destined for a massive relegation scrap. They're, they're fighting against the odds from the start. Rio too, in terms of they don't their budget isn't huge, and um, you know they're always going to be fighting against it. Leganes are an interesting one because they're manager like they obviously swap managers with. Um, uh, Legan, sorry, uh, Asier Garitano went to Real Sociedad and he implemented a style there that was very pragmatic um, and had them just perfectly uh, poised all the time for like kind of a mid-table finish, just a little bit lower than mid-table. And that's the kind of thing talking about continuity with these uh, managers but a, a bad spell or a bad run of games for a manager at a club like that and all of a sudden fans might turn against them you know and, and I but I think uh, Pellegrino has turned Leganese around recently and I think they've improved massively they're far more even enjoyable to watch way more competitive um, whereas whereas the start of the season they, they just all looked very mediocre uh, but but I think he's after actually that Barcelona game and maybe a game or two before that they had started to look a little bit like uh, they might have enough about them to stay up whereas before that they looked dead in the water Um yeah, and you were saying there's, there's a couple of clubs there uh, that that are going through um, the more storied clubs, and yeah, I, I think I think Athletic Bilbao at the moment have, have a serious issue on their hands with Barito and what to do with that because it just seems like the same thing every week, and there's no difference and no, it just looks like there's no end to it in sight. Um, uh, Valencia, I think uh, again it comes back to the Real Betis and Kike set the end thing where uh, uh, Marcelino massively uh, over overshot his uh, uh, objectives last season. He was they were way better than anyone. They were probably two years ahead of where they were, and all of a sudden they're kind of regressing to the mean, maybe a little bit below that. Uh, some of the strikers we see, or so, some of the yeah strikers we see, um, are finding it difficult to kind of uh, assimilate something similar. We see Atletico Madrid and when you get a manager with um, certain uh, style and a certain 
certain uh, authoritarian style not that Marcelino's like that but he's very 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 strict and and players find it harder to assimilate to that style and I think that after the summer which is something we've seen with Simeone uh, as well it, it, it t- tends to take them a couple of games maybe or even a couple of months for the new players to assimilate into this squad and I think Valencia are suffering from that as well as the being in Europe um and uh, yeah, I think they'll be fine, obviously. But I, I do hope that they don't uh, just uh, get rid of Marcelino and, and start to start to panic after he did so well last year with them. And yeah, and you do get the feeling that I, I know Pep Guardiola is doing what he's doing over at, at Man City still, but you get the feeling that tactics in world football, it, it's not so much that a legginess has to say we're going to defend for ninety minutes and hope an occasional counterattack goes our way. But a lot of these, we'll call them historically smaller clubs, seem to have their game plan and they define how they want to play. And so they go into the games choosing how they're playing instead of just bunkering all 10 players behind the ball. And I find that it's making a lot of these games across the board pretty entertaining. And, you know, as I've, it is, you can make a joke, but it's not really a joke that the last few seasons with Bilbao, they have not been playing aesthetically pleasing um, football, and it is this knock against them. But also, it's true that Bilbao has a very... Uh, they, they do give you the sense that they're playing a, a rugged game. That It does remind me of you know more the Scottish Premier League um, with a little more skill than it does against... Um, against that it is against La Liga as far as how they personify themselves. Um, but you did bring up Atletico Madrid and Sevilla. Now, before we go to some of the, the smaller teams at the top of the table, we'll talk about Espanyol in a second, but I just want to hit Atletico Madrid, who, again, you see plenty of, and then Sevilla, who Sevilla and Andre Silva, which is, again, uh, the, the Portuguese forward, a big get for them. He's near the top of the, the goal scorers in the Liga so far this season. We look at that Sevilla dismantling of Real Madrid, where Andre Silva was, you'd have to say, probably the star of that game. And those two teams, I don't see a reason why Atletico Madrid or Sevilla can't be hoisting La Liga at the end of the day. And I, I, is there a counter-argument to that? But obviously, Atletico Madrid, even for them, the third giant, have not been perfect this season. No, far from it. And I think, yeah, that just comes back to the parity in, in La Liga and, and the fact that Barcelona struggled for a few games. They kind of have straightened themselves up a little bit in, in, in recent times. But I think it comes back to a point you made there about teams and managers with a certain style and they just implement their game plan on it and they think about themselves for the most part. And I think that that's absolutely huge and vital when you look at the managers that we mentioned. And I think it's because there's just such a technical brilliance within Spain and 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 like you look at the Segunda division and I like I go to I'll say a good few games but I go to a few games and I watch a lot of it on telly and you look at it and you're like this is actually technically very a very high standard mm-hmm. and then and then you go to La Liga and you've got so so what you get and I'm not it's actually a really interesting topic to kind of dive into but there's this after Pep will say maybe and after the World Cup winning winning team, the Spain World Cup winning team, there's there's an ideological uh, um, personality character within Spanish managerial uh, positions, and they they all have these really really defined ways of playing, and I think and they're being given chances as well, which is probably a, a result of Pep. And a result of that Spain thing. So you look at Paolo Machin with Sevilla. 
wonderful football, a wonderful style of football, a really real clarity in what they try to do. And um, he's he's stubborn and he's 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 single minded in equal in in equal measure. Um, and he's he Sevilla need to back him, and I think certainly if. If they back him in the winter with another couple of signings, he can turn them into genuine title contenders. Um, and then you look at as well that ideological manager like uh, Setien, really stubborn, really, um, really clear in what he wants to do. And 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 then you get the likes of um, even even Eusebio, who who maybe a, a level just below that. Eusebio, you've got. Um, uh, Garitano, who is very very principled, and and. I think that's what makes La Liga so good at the moment, and I think it's it it definitely helps Spanish football and um, also Marcelino very very ideological and he, very idealistic in his approach as to what he thinks is the best way to play, and I think that that's a reason why Spain is becoming um, such a, a La Liga is so fair this year as well. Like you look at the Premier League and and, and a lot of the managers aren't actually from there, and I, I don't know how much we, and we don't know how much this can affect things. But you get managers coming in from all over the world, and it takes them while to assimilate and there's more of a turnover there and also the money that's in there there's such a and it comes back to the thing that the magnifying glass is on them and, and the, the pressure comes on and as soon as that happens management and teams uh, sack their coaches and that's it and uh, I, I think in Spain I think there's a little bit more certainly maybe not at the very very bottom but but yeah like I mean we've only seen one sacking so far this year and, and I mean Raya are sticking with Michel very very clear way of thinking he's from the school of Paco Jemez he's a disciple of kind of Paco Jemez's era at Raya things like that and I think that that's certainly helping uh, Spanish football and um and uh, I think it's a, it's a joy for us as as both journalists, writers, uh, podcasters, and fans, too, I think. Yeah, and, and so we'll wrap this up uh, with our La Liga talk on this question, and we've got a few for you. Now, I have to come clean, though, personally on the Barcelona podcast, and admit one of the rare times that I've been completely off base here on the show, I mean, with, with, with no regard uh, for the truth. I predicted that Espanyol would be bottom of the table, and they were the first team relegated this season. Other than Huesca, they were the one that I said, there's no way looking up and down the roster, and I could not have been more wrong. Obviously, losing Gerard Moreno, I thought they'd have trouble scoring goals, but Borja Iglesias, who spent last year in the Segunda Division with Real Zaragoza, has scored five goals, two assists in 10 games, 23-year-old center back Mario Homoso has been one of the surprises of the season back on the back line for Espanyol as well as Mark Roca, uh, who's a, a longtime Espanyol academy player who played for Spain, you know, uh, whatever it was, under 17, I believe, under 15. Uh, he, so he was in the Spanish youth system, was Mark Roca, expected to be one of their important pieces of the puzzle moving forward. But it seems like Espanyol made that jump already with a lot of those younger pieces complimenting some of those experienced players that they've not only brought in, but have already been there as well. Granero comes to mind. And then you look at fifth place Alaves under Abelardo Fernandez, an amazing turnaround for them as well, and just being able to sustain where they are. Now, I do expect them maybe a little dip, but you know what, again, who knows? Espanyol and Alaves may have the legs to just focusing on La Liga. Again, they're not in multiple competitions, but maybe that's what we're seeing more of now. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, yeah. And and that one, on, I actually left Ruby out of the discussion with Espanyol. And, and to be honest with you, Dan, I don't think anyone's going uh, to be too critical of you predicting Espanyol. <laughs> they had been... I appreciate that. I don't mean to be... I don't mean to be um, to be too harsh on them but they were they were a nothing team for a long time and I mean a nothing team as in you'd watch them and they'd know 
flair. They had no right. style. They had no personality. They they played on Friday nights, and and I know that that isn't there isn't isn't um up to them. But it's part of what it's it's part of why you get picked for a Friday night is because you don't really have uh, what regularly on a Friday night I'll say is because you lack that personality to play on a on a on a on a, on a, a big time game um. And and I think that Ruby and and one thing I get with Espanol, as you said, so many young players and and some some really wonderful players, technically brilliant. You look at them and they're just so clear in what they're trying to do. Like you know, you watch you watch Bilbao and you're looking, going like, like okay, I can I can kind of maybe see a theory here as to what they're trying to do, but it's not exactly clear. Whereas you look at Espanol and it's very clear. It's very uh, it's very slick, smart uh, style. And I think that um. I think that uh, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, there was going to be a little bit of a drop off. But I think what Ruby has done there, another Spanish coach, uh, is is has been absolutely fabulous with Espanol. And 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 really, I know that I know that uh, uh, the the you could say it just based on their results, but they're actually a really enjoyable team to watch. And um, maybe not Alaves so much, but they're getting results too. So uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see. Uh, when or if these teams will drop off and every week you're waiting for it but it hasn't happened yet and I've just actually got Espanol and Athletic Club on the telly here and I was just watching the first half and uh, yeah like I mean I was kind of thinking oh maybe this will be the week but it just seems every single week they're finding a way to win and uh, a fascinating uh, football club at the moment. Now I've got uh, basically it's a two-part question for you both personal and more broad now obviously I've this is the Barcelona podcast, so I've been a staunch defender of saying that La Liga, I think if you stack them up while they don't have the money of the Premier League uh, and they might not have the injection of youth in every team like the Bundesliga, I think La Liga, pound for pound, is just as good a league as the Premier League. I, I think it's more of uh, a brother-sister than it is a, a you know older brother-younger brother type situation. Um, so for me, I, again, that's where I stand, but obviously here I am on the Barcelona podcast, uh, quite biased, and now... The two-part question for you would be, uh, one, what was it? Obviously, our listeners can tell you don't have a Spanish accent. <laughs> so what, what took you from the UK and, and Ireland to Spain to cover La Liga in the way that you do? And then part two of that is, again, coming from the UK, what kind of narrative do you feel? Because obviously, if you hear anybody who followed the Premier League in the UK, you know, it's a, it's a simple hierarchy. It's number one, Premier League, and then everything else below it. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to correct you there firstly, Dan. Ireland isn't actually in the UK, but I'll, I'll let you off on that one. Oh, um, of course, of course. Republic of Ireland. and. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, well, what drew me for her first was, um, and, and I just just to touch on the thing about the Premier League, I think the issue with Spanish football, I don't, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I've thought about this in depth, and I, I, I've gotten different answers from different people I've spoken to, different things. I think a part of it is the coverage. There's not, there's not as much English coverage, and people, and also another thing is that people don't know where they're taught. Where for me anyway, and for for us as kids growing up in Ireland we'd follow the Premier League because we knew where these places were and we, we had been to these places. We had been to Manchester. I went to Anfield all, uh, good, a lot of times with my family on trips to go to watch games. We went to uh, Old Trafford with my friends as we got older. We went, we'd been in London. I'd been to White Hart Lane. We knew these places. Whereas when I first moved here two years ago, uh, I, I, I was just doing like that. I was joking with my family on WhatsApp and we were sending messages and I was like, 
I was like, I don't know Spain. I, do, I don't know where these places are. Like, I don't know a lot of these places. I don't know the history enough. And I sent a message to my family saying, where is Valencia? And uh, just a joke, like, to see what their knowledge was. And my, my sister was like, oh, it's in, it's in the north, no? And then my brother was like, oh, it's a trick question. It's an island. And they, they just didn't know. And I think that's a part of it. It's hard to kind of connect with a team and teams and leagues when you don't actually know where it is that you're talking about and the, the kind of context behind a lot of these places. But uh, what brought me here was uh, when my girlfriend is from Madrid and she we lived in Ireland for a few years together and then we, we would always plan to move here and uh, I decided off just on a whim as I so often do that I was going to write a book about Rio Vallecano too so I just said uh, yeah let's go and, and, and she moved here and we live in where her family are from here in Madrid and uh, yeah that's what brought me here and it was um, it's, uh, it's been working out so well so far. Yeah, so you gave a little plug yourself, so I just want to extend that question a little bit. Not only where can people get your book, what's the name of your book, and where can people find the rest of your work? Uh, yeah, you can find my work. I, I, I tend to write uh, for a couple of different places. Uh, in, uh, As, Diario As, I have an English website section, and I write for them, uh, do some columns for them. Uh, always trying to do more, obviously, but uh, the working class here is you can buy it on Amazon.co.uk or Book Depository. It's free shipping, uh, and you can, or also Amazon.com as well. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's working class heroes. And on uh, Twitter, then, Robbie J. Dunn, is, uh, you can find everything that I do on there pretty much. And, of course, we'll have all of that in the show notes. And we also ask you, thanks again for tuning in, but you can tap in your app right now, check out the show notes to subscribe to the show and check out all the different things that Robbie mentioned, whether it was finding him on Twitter or, again, finding his book. You can also find us on social media, too. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for me, and on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group, well, again, we do appreciate all of our listeners. It's been a few weeks since we had LaRonda with some questions, but we're going to get back to that soon enough. That's tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dive discussions. You can, again, those where you can get your LaRonda questions in and we'll answer on the show. You can also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And again, we cannot mention enough that post El Clasico in particular, if we have new listeners or you're just tuning in for the first few weeks and you like what you have to hear, please give us five stars. Subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, um, on Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening. Those subscriptions and those uh, th- those reviews really do help a lot. So again, we just employ you just a little reminder here. Uh, and Robbie, in particular to you, thanks so much for coming on the show. And thanks to our listeners for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for Barca. At Metro, the best deal in wireless is on. Switch to Metro and get one full Amazon Prime membership included every month. Plus, get two free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens. All with two lines for just 90 bucks. That's the best deal in wireless, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. 
plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.